0: Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church. So we're talking about the ties that bind us. There are several scriptures in the Bible that talk about ties or bonds that bind us together as believers and bind us with the Lord. Colossians 2 verse 19 is one of those. It says, not holding fast to the head from whom all the body nourished and knit together, nourished and knit together, get this picture, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, joints and ligaments, ties that bind us. We're nourished and we're knit together by joints and ligaments. The whole body grows with the increase that is from God. So he says there are some people who've lost connection with the head, but also, they are therefore not bound together with the, the Lord's ties that bind us. And we've been looking at what are these ties. We've spoken about love. We've said that this word ligaments here is a Greek word that occurs three other times in the Bible. In Philippians, sorry, Ephesians chapter 4, it talks about keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, the ligament of peace. That means the love and the peace that we have for each other. In Colossians chapter 3 verse 14, it says, above all these things put on love, which is the bond, the ligament, the tie of perfection. Love is this bond that binds us. Um, We also saw that it can speak about negative bonds. So in Acts chapter 8, Peter says to Simon the magician, you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. You're bound up with the wrong things. But today I want to talk about a different thing that binds us to other Christians obviously we have to be bound to Jesus the head and we have to have peace and love and these family bonds but today I want to talk about the task that binds us because there is a principle in the New Testament of Christians getting together for a purpose that bound them together and made them unified and I'm hoping to go through the scriptures today. So the first is a word called um, of one accord, homo is the Greek word. In Acts chapter 2 verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord, homo thumadon. Now this word, homo means together, thumadon means running along. So it means rushing along as a group towards something. And in Acts 2 verse 1, it says they were all of one accord, and then we know the Holy Spirit was poured out. And Acts chapter 2 verse 46, it says, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, they were breaking bread, they were eating food in their houses, and the Lord added to their number." So they were in their homes meeting, but in their minds, they were rushing along together. They had a purpose and it united them. And because of that, the Lord was adding to their number in Acts chapter 4 verse 24 they had a prayer meeting and they raised their voices to God with one accord and they prayed to him and it says the place was shaken and the Holy Spirit was poured out so again rushing along together in prayer then the power of God is released and in Acts 5 verse 12 it says through the hands of the apostles many signs and wonders were done among the people and they were all with one accord rushing along Together, This idea of having a purpose but being with a team of people who I'm bound to with peace, with love, I'm bound to the head Jesus and together we're going somewhere for the Lord is one of the things that binds us together. I would go so far as to say that if you don't have a task that binds you with other believers, if you're meeting just for the sake of meeting or because you've got nothing better to do, or because it's the tradition. If you don't have a task, if you don't know what you're working towards, your unity in the Spirit will be weak. But when you have a task, your unity is strong. Let me show you a few verses um, that Paul wrote in Romans chapter 16. He writes to his beloved friends, and at the end of Romans 16, he gives a list of greetings to people who he knows and loves. Uh, he says, Greek Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers. Fellow workers. That's something I'm going to bring up a little bit later. It's the Greek word synergos, where we get our word synergy from. And that means that we're part of Paul's team that we're doing at task. He says, Greek Priscilla and Aquila, my synergy workers in Christ Jesus, um, likewise greet the church in their house. So Priscilla and Aquila had a little team and they were working towards a task which was reaching Rome for Christ. He says, uh, greet Adronicus and Junior, my fellow, my countrymen and fellow prisoners who are of note among the apostles. So this was a couple, a husband and wife, Andronicus and Junior, who were apostles and they had a team and they were working together for a task. He greets many people and then in Um, verse 14 he says greet a Phlegon Hermas Petrobus Hermes and the brethren who are with them what's that that's a team who were working together for something a bit like a football team a rugby team a volleyball team whatever it is they're a team with a task they're not just a bunch of people who happened to be together talking about the Lord worshiping enjoying each other's company having some coffee thinking about other things. No, there was a purpose. They were working together towards something. And there's another group after that, philologist Julian Nerius and his sister Olympus and all the saints who are with them. They were another team. And Paul had a team of fellow workers. I've said it's this word, synagos or synergous. And he listed them and he relied on them and he told people, these are my fellow workers. Let me read you a passage in Colossians chapter 4, which illustrates this. In Colossians 4 and verse 7, he says, Tychicus, a beloved brother, um, will tell you all the news. I'm sending him to you for this purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts with Onesimus, A faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. They will make known to you the things that are happening here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. um, And Jesus, who is called Justice. Then he says, these are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. And they have proved to be a comfort to me. Paul lists his fellow workers at the end of 1 Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 16. He tells them about Timothy. He says, I'm sending him because he speaks and works the same as me. Uh, and he says, listen to those who work and labor with us. He had a list of fellow workers. Just one more verse. Philippians chapter 2 talks about these fellow workers. I trust in the Lord to send Timothy to you shortly, that I may be encouraged when I know your state. for I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. All seek their own, not the things which are of Christ, but you know his proven character that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once as soon as I see how it goes with me. I trust in the Lord that I myself will come shortly. I consider it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my needs. So we see this idea of Paul having a team of workers who he would send and he would trust. They would represent him. They would tell him how things were going and they were his team. But then he writes in Romans 16 to philologists and their team and Andronicus and Junia, Priscilla and Aquila and their team. Everyone had different teams of workers. Now, why is this? Why did they have little teams? The answer is simply this. For practical reasons, you can't have a team that is too big Because then you can't really be unified and working together. You can't be communicating well with each other. You can't be using everybody's gifts fully. You know, in a team, some people are good at administration. Some are the prayer warriors. Some are the public speakers. Some minister to practical needs. Uh, Everybody's got a different role in a team. But you're working towards a goal, to a task. And in the Bible one of the ties that binds Christians together is they were in a team. How about you, my dear friend? Are you in a team? Are you attending maybe a church or you just consider yourself part of the body of Christ and you float around, but you can't really say I'm working towards a task with a small group of believers. In Acts, homo of one accord rushing along together, they were trying to achieve something together. Paul's teams, the other people's teams of fellow workers, synergy workers, so that together they achieved something great for the Lord. What about Jesus? Matthew chapter 11, Jesus used a word that we may find strange, and it's the word yoke. You know, in those days, agriculture was a big part of life, and they would yoke oxen together to pull a cart Um, and Jesus made a statement that you've probably heard many times, but you may not realize what he was referring to. He said in verse 28, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You see, everybody's laboring, and everybody is heavy laden with something. You're either serving the Lord, and you're in a team with His people, doing His task, or you're serving the devil. The Bible gives us two options. We may not think we're serving the devil, but actually... He's pulling the strings. If we're not serving the Lord, we may think we're serving ourselves or our boss or maybe our mom and dad or whatever it is. But actually, it's either the Lord or it's not. You're either with him or you're against him. And he said, if you're weary and heavy laden, you see the way you know that you're not in the Lord's team is it wears you out. But he says, come to me, all you who, are, who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Wow. So having a task for the Lord actually results in rest. But when I think I'm resting from the work of the Lord, it causes me to be heavy laden and weary. He says, take my yoke upon you. What's he talking about? A yoke is a thing that binds a bunch of oxen together, a task that binds us. We're pulling in the same direction with Jesus, the driver of the team of oxen. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for yourselves. There's that word rest again. Ah, thank you, Lord, that I can rest in your work. You see, when I'm with the Lord, and I'm with his people, and I'm doing what he wants me to do, and what he designed me to do, even though it's work, it feels like rest. There's this theme of rest that runs through the whole Bible. It starts with the Sabbath, in the 10 commandments, then God said every seven years have another, another Sabbath, every 50 years have a Jubilee Sabbath where debts are canceled, slaves are set free, land that you've lost is returned to you. Jesus arrives in Luke chapter four, he reads from Isaiah and he says, I have come to proclaim the Jubilee, the acceptable year of the Lord, when I set at liberty all the captives. And then we see through the Bible, Jesus, shows what the sabbath is supposed to be he heals people he loves people on the sabbath even though the pharisees are getting all upset that he's breaking their little rules he says no no the sabbath was made for man not man for the sabbath i am the lord of the sabbath and then in hebrews chapter 4 it says there remains a sabbath rest for the people of god for those who have entered god's rest have ceased from their labors that doesn't mean we don't work we work. Paul said, I work harder than all the rest, yet it wasn't I, but the grace of God that was in me. And so we work, but it feels like rest because we're doing it with God's energy, with God's people, for God's purpose, and He carries us along. So Jesus said, come to me, if you labor and a heavy laden, I will give you rest. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. In 2 Corinthians 6 verse 14 Paul says, don't be yoked together with unbelievers. And we normally use that verse to say that Christians should not marry non-Christians. And that definitely applies and is part of it. But the context of that verse was more about being yoked to achieve a big task. to, To be bound together with other people where you share your life. Where you're working towards something important and meaningful. Your life's mission What is your life's mission, my friend? Is it to accumulate $50,000 or pounds? Is it to have a retirement fund? Is it to make sure your children get educated? All of those are, are fine and good things, but they're not a worthy life's task. We've got to have a task that comes from Jesus. He said, take my yoke upon you. And if you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness with his people, then all these other things are added to you as well. Isn't that amazing? So when he said, don't be yoked with unbelievers, what he was saying is, be careful who you bind yourself with, the ties that bind us. So when I was at school, a couple of times a year, we would do a tug of war. Have you ever seen that? It's where a team grabs a rope, maybe five, six, seven people, they grab a rope, a big, thick rope. It's the task that binds them and they're pulling in a direction. And the team on the other side of the rope grab the rope and the one team tries to pull the other team across a line so that they've won the tug of war. And the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit is taking hold of something together with us and pulling. Did you know that? In Romans chapter 8 verse 26, it says, we don't know how we ought to pray, but the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. And that word helps us is a Greek word, sun antilambanamai, which means together against an enemy, he takes hold of something and he fights with us. The Holy Spirit helps us, takes hold of things together with us, and we pull together. I need to ask you, my dear friend, what is the task that is binding you to other people? Now, my suspicion is you probably like me For the first five or ten years of my Christian life, Christianity was all about me. It was all about my needs, uh, my forgiveness, my healing, my buzz. Do I feel the power of the Lord? Do I feel forgiven? Do I feel loved? Do I feel good? Do I feel happy? For the first ten years, it was all about me. And there was healing and, and the Lord did great things. But then the Lord showed me, actually, there's more to this Christian life. You know, Jesus said, just as he was leaving planet Earth, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And he's talking to his little band of followers, his believers. And he says, I'm sending you with a task. And when we realize, when a a light goes on in our mind, when we realize I'm saved for more than just my own personal healing. I'm saved for more than just my own good feelings. (laughs) I'm saved for a task. And I'm saved with a body, with a team, so that we have a task that binds us together. When I discover that, all sorts of things happen. I become a mature believer. I start looking outwards at others and at the Lord's task, instead of always inwards at myself, my feelings. Am I feeling forgiven today? Am I feeling good? Oh no, maybe maybe I've drifted from the Lord, because I'm always introspective. My feelings got up and down. But when I start looking at a task and I'm bound with others, everything changes. I'd like to close by reading a passage from Ephesians 4. Which is a companion passage to the Colossians verse that I read at the beginning. In Colossians 2 verse 19, he says that we are nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments and the whole increase comes from God and Ephesians and Colossians are two letters that Paul wrote where he said much of the same things but in slightly different ways and so Paul said exactly that same thing to the Ephesians but he said it like this in verse 11 Jesus gave some to be apostles some prophets some evangelists some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ. The reason we're saved is so that we can do the work of the ministry and build up the body of Christ. Till we all come to unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Christ wants you to be mature. And part of being mature is growing up and not just looking at myself, but looking at what God wants me to do. Verse 14, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. We can, as young believers, just be following the latest teaching and exciting idea and, and fad that's coming along. And we can easily be blown off course either by our own emotions, by spiritual deception, or by ideas that seem to tickle our ears and make us excited. But he says, when you mature, you get solid teaching, solid doctrine. Uh, because the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, you're linked with other believers who are helping you to grow, to become mature. Not to always be dependent on them, but to be mature. And then he goes on to say, but speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. We're speaking the truth in love. There's a maturity that comes from being able to speak in a team honestly, like Heidi spoke about last week, the ability to resolve conflicts and speak with love, but to deal with things. And then he says, from Jesus, the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. Can you hear those words? are so similar to what we read in Colossians. He says, joined and knit together. In Colossians, he said, nourished and knit together. By what every joint supplies. In Colossians, it said, by every joint and ligament, these ties that bind us. But here he says, it's what the joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. He said in Colossians, the increase that comes from God. Here he says, as each part does its work, as we all contribute our share, as we're yoked in a team of oxen pulling in a direction, but we're all contributing our unique and specific gifts. He says, as we do that, every joint, every tie that binds us, is supplying something to the whole. There's synergy. There's a team working together and we're achieving something. And there's growth. There's maturity. And uh, amazing shining out of Jesus to the world around us. Can I ask, are you in a small team? You, You say to me, Greg, why a small team? Why a small team? Again, it's because of the practicalities. Jesus had 12 disciples, but there were many who followed him but there were 12 disciples. We we can only really effectively work to a task in a small team, but then we're supposed to be part of a bigger team. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 46, where I said they were rushing along together, they were in one accord, it says they met in their homes and in the temple courts, breaking bread, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. There's, There's this place for a small team that we're working for a task, In Romans 16, Paul writes to the little teams of people who are doing tasks. He names his fellow workers because he had a small team, but he had many brothers and sisters in Christ. We are supposed to be part of a bigger family, the worldwide church of God. Then we're supposed to have a local church, which is um, lots of people all together worshiping together. But then there are small teams. In our church, we have life groups where we pray together. We read the Bible, we discuss, we share each other's lives. But again, it's for a task, and the task is the Great Commission. It has to be the Great Commission. Every other task in the Bible points towards this Great Commission. Go, make disciples of all people, baptizing them, discipling them, teaching them, and I'm with you till the end of the age. Small groups in life groups, which are trying to reach others and bring them in where we pray, we love, we worship, but we're always thinking, how can we be reaching out? How can we be discipling new people and bring them into the body of Christ? It might be a serving team. You might be somebody who does camera work or sound team or setting up or teas or children's work or worship. Those are wonderful little groups of believers that are formed for a task. But the byproduct is amazing fellowship, the task that binds us. And we get so close to one another. It's just beautiful. We have a team that go out and do street evangelism. The unity there is beautiful. The worship teams, it's just amazing. Uh, It could be something else. You you might feel that you need to form a small team to reach the poor or to pray uh, or whatever it is. That's good. But we've got to say, as long as we're in unity with the other believers, and as long as our main goal is the Great Commission. And so can I challenge you at the end of this talk. Are you connected to the head, Jesus? Are you being bound together with other believers in a task that ultimately leads to the Great Commission, to reaching others for Christ? And are you allowing the bonds of peace and love to tie you to other believers and to the Lord? Because if you're not, you're going to fall into isolation. And as we said in a previous talk, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for the isolated ones to devour. Lord Jesus, unify us in a task. Help us to be mature, to look outside of ourselves, to look at the others and to look at the work that you've got us to do. Help us, Lord Jesus, to do what you've called us to do with your people so that we can Achieve your great commission. In Jesus' name, Amen. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please consider supporting this ministry by making a donation on the giving page at leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.